It's the Wealth and Wisdom Podcast, providing you wisdom on investments, taxes, retirement, and other topics that listeners will benefit from, all in hopes of helping you build and enjoying your wealth your way. Here's your host, Michael Loftus of Loftus Wealth Strategies. Hello, and welcome back to episode 12 of the Wealth and Wisdom Podcast. First time here, I am a practicing financial advisor. We have a registered investment advisory firm, meaning we do act as a fiduciary. We do podcasts like we're doing today, available here, of course, on YouTube. Below links to all the various podcast channels. We do market updates, latest up here, and we will be launching a new Wednesday Wisdom Live podcast, so please do consider subscribing. So on these podcasts, I make these more about educational ideas, things that you may or may not think about as it pertains to retirement and other things that come up during that time. So first off, though, we always start with a quote. The person who doesn't know where his next dollar is coming from usually doesn't know where his last dollar went. Isn't that the truth? So today we're going to talk about any universal truths to retirement. Now, one size does not fit all. We do our financial plans. We talk about that being a roadmap, but it's a living, breathing document. But there are some items that we could probably agree on that everyone will have to face or look at during retirement. I'm going to break this up into two segments. Today, we're going to hit my top five. So kicking things off, everybody needs an income plan. Yes, of course, right? When you're working, you've got your income. Now you've got your passive income. Could be social security, could be pension, but then from your investments, you're going to take from your IRA, your Roth, your non-IRA, there's tax considerations, etc. So no doubt we handle that, like I mentioned, with a financial plan. We also have tax planning software to make sure we are taking it from the most tax efficient place. Okay, next up, everybody needs a plan to address a long-term care issue. Well, so September is National Insurance Awareness Month. So good we're plugging this one in here right now. So long-term care is something I talk about with clients. First off, I'm not really a believer in traditional long-term care products. Not a lot are offered anymore, but more of a product that's going to be a hybrid, which will be life and long-term care. Now, statistically, one of the spouses will go into some type of, okay, some type of long-term care facility and or have that need, okay? So there is a reason to have that part of your plan. Now, some people, if they have the funds, they can take care of it and self-fund anything that's come on. I've had that with some clients, but we're talking $10,000, $12,000 a month. It can add up. Having those policies can definitively help. Just had lunch with a client the other day, talked about her mother recently passed. That policy literally had $80 left over, about a $300,000 policy, which is standard for those old long-term care policies. So, To me, it's a hedge, right? It's a hedge. The reason we do that life long-term care, if it's not used, 
okay? You can still have that life benefit, which can be beneficial to uh, your heirs, okay? So again, yes, we feel that it should be part of your plan. Any questions, uh, go ahead and send me an email on that. Nobody can consistently time the stock market successfully. I mean, I would agree with that, okay? But you have to be careful. So for us, if you watch our videos on the markets, I'm not a buy and hold person. We look at market cycles. And like right now, we're seeing a, uh, a rush in, not a rush, an increase in inflation again. Subsequently, about five weeks ago, we started adding back inflation assets. We have over seven holdings right now, and that has fared very well over that period. So when you look at that, it's not about timing. If you look at cycles, you can work your way in and out, and cycles could be, could be one month, right? That's one thing we're changing in our process. But generally, the cycle we've been in started okay, at the top of November of 2021. Prior to that, it was about 16 months. So generally those cycles do last for quite some time. So market timing, so like market timers could get in and out the same day, every other day. No, that does not work. But having a definitive process, looking at different cycles and adding certain asset classes can help over time. Going to diversification is essential for risk management. Sure, right? There's no doubt by spreading those buys what you own over several different asset classes will help you. But again, I'm not a traditional buy and hold 60-40, okay? So that uh, allocation, and this is the problem, people will do an allocation model and they've got large growth, uh, mid growth, small growth, international, and bonds, right? That's not really being truly diversified. So by bringing in other sectors, it can really help you in adding alpha, okay? During the 20 up through 2021, obviously a lot of tech. We had inflation assets, like I said. Right now, same thing. We're also looking at several countries that we own, all right, that are doing very well. So I would like a more dynamic asset allocation over the long haul. Estate, plan estate planning isn't just for the wealthy. I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, everyone's situation is different. I mean, I generally say if there's four or $500,000, you should look at having an estate plan done. Now, depends. An IRA, if that's your only asset, you really need a trust for that. Well, maybe if there's some kids you may not trust or worried about a divorce. So there's a lot of different scenarios. I'll address that more here in a second, but uh, it's not, you know, it's not just for the wealthy, okay? It's all about protecting your assets, avoiding probate, and also keeping some privacy, okay? So next up, next topic, we're going to be going to uh, navigating finances after losing a spouse. Now, this is something, unfortunately, I've been through several times, uh, and there's a lot of planning that goes around that. Everybody handles it differently, okay? So, you know, a couple things. One, one, okay, just like we talked about, having those documents in place, making sure you have your wills definitively, power of attorneys, absolutely, a trust if applicable, right? Making sure we have that all in place. Now, at that time when somebody does pass, if you're not aware, those accounts get frozen, okay? And that could be awkward. I'm dealing with it now in a situation where it's been since May and I'm getting people to, 
you know, we need this paperwork because it's frozen. We can't touch it, can't trade on that account. So that's one thing you want to consider as well. So a couple other things that I will point out. So the income gap, right? So we do look at that again, going back why we believe so much in having financial plans done. We take a look at the income, right? So the income gap is going to come from one, Social Security, put two fingers up, one, Social Security, okay, when you look at that. So if one spouse dies, the other spouse takes over the higher amount. How about pensions? Have you planned for that? Are you taking the full amount? Are you doing a spousal benefit? Okay, so you have to think about that as well. So the income gap should definitively be part of your plan and you can look at different scenarios, again, to make sure the surviving spouse does not run out of money. Taxes, right? You're gonna go from a joint to a single filer. That does make a difference, right? So you're taking away one of those deductions, which can be substantial, okay? So you have some other benefits there as well. So you have to think about that and the impact of that on your taxes and then on the impact of what you're taking out for retirement. So meaning IRA, Roth, et cetera. How are we doing that and doing it in the most tax efficient way? So, you know, how do you handle the income gap? Well, a lot of times if somebody has a pension, if they're taking a full amount, we'll recommend doing a life insurance policy when they pass they will go ahead, get that death benefit tax-free, and hopefully that'll take up the gap of not having that, okay? So that's one thing you can do. Again, we talked about this, the pensions. What are the options? That's one of the most difficult decisions when you retire, when to start that pension, what benefits, what percentage of benefits. And we've got software that can go through all those different scenarios to make sure that we are doing the best possible uh, options for our clients. So, you know, outside of that, I think, again, keep it pretty simple. That financial plan will help you, your tax planning, making sure you're prepared for that. So, you know, once you've got that taken care of, you want to make sure you're not leaving a tax bomb to the kids, okay? And then some other things, right? Beneficiaries. We just went through this once a year. We're going through now with our new process on how we serve our clients. We sent out and updated everybody's beneficiaries, and lo and behold, we had several changes, okay? So make sure those beneficiaries are up across the board, okay? Communicating your plans with your children, and this is always a difficult one, but something we definitely recommend. There comes a point you wanna be able to do that. One thing we're doing right now, we're updating, making sure we have everybody's uh, wills, trust, or trusted contact, okay? So making sure that trusted contact is aware of what's going on, if you see any issues coming up, et cetera, okay? So <clears throat> outside of that, anything else has come up that I would think about? Well, the one thing is when it comes to those trusts, one executor, okay? You gotta make, you know, I've had situations where you have three people, three children named, and that always becomes a disaster. I had a situation, I need X amount of dollars. 10 minutes later, I got a call. Do not send that money to this person, right? That's a problem. The other thing is make sure you do have those wills, power of attorneys, et cetera, in place. Going through a situation recently where we had to get guardianship for a client who was getting into dementia, right? What a nightmare. What an expensive nightmare. So again, making sure that all of those documents are up to place, uh, up to date, and you do have those. So now, Moving on to 
mailbag. All right, first up, we have Rosemary in Texas. Got to be hot there right now. How much is too much to spend on our forever home? Oh, I've heard this one before. Going to move in a couple years when we retire. My husband wants to buy a house. It's cheaper than our current home that we so we can avoid having a mortgage in retirement. But this is going to place we live for the rest of our lives. So I want it to be perfect. Who's right? Rule number one. I will never get in the middle of that one, right? I'll offer this scenario. So again, going back to that financial plans, we can show you all right, we could take a mortgage. Here's how we're going to pay for the mortgage. And what's the impact that, what is the impact of that on your overall plan? Or paying your house off and all at once, right? So there's different scenarios. So it's tough to answer that question. I mean, I could give you general ideas, but again, everyone's situation is different. But I think you just have to go through the planning process and both of you have to agree on that. Valerie in Missouri. Okay, thanks for listening in here. My husband died 15 years ago. I've dated, but never considered getting married until now. My boyfriend's house will work better for us than mine, so I'd move in with him, but it makes me really nervous to sell my house, start combining finances because I've been doing things independently for so long. How do you advise people in a situation? So this is a tough one, right? So I don't know your age here, um, but you know the first thing is, if you're going to move into your, your saying boyfriend, not future husband, but your boyfriend's home, where are you on that, uh, on the documents as far as ownership and at home? I'm going to assume none of it, right? So that's an issue you have right there. Now, you might have some profits coming out of your old house. Make sure you invest that. I mean, I would think that it's something you have to come in agreement for. I've had scenarios where some couples always have things separate. I had a couple in their 90s. Monies were still separate, always, okay? Uh, that's how they did it. It was a second marriage for both, uh, but had been married for 30 years. Um, but they kept it separate and paid their bills that way, okay? That worked for them. Uh, you know, my main thing is, if you were my client, I would just make sure that you're protected in any financial decision you're making here uh, going forward. And that again would be with beneficiaries, where's the sell the house, the proceeds going, et cetera. So again, just make sure you talk to someone and you are protected. All right, next up, we have Carlos in Louisiana, a lot here from the South, okay? Talk to a few financial advisors about how they get paid, and it sounds like they all have completely different models. One guy even made it sound like it doesn't charge fee at all, so I'm not sure how that business model would work. Anyway, are there this many different free fee structures? You know, I, I mean, there really aren't that many fee structures today uh, because of some regulation. I think if you were to, to name them, the first one would be what are A-share mutual funds, okay? Do not do those, but the advisor would get paid up front, there's break points depending on the investment. It would go down, probably start at four and a half, go down to whatever percent, two percent, depending on a mutual fund company. I don't see a lot of people doing that. There is one firm that still does that, but uh, not as common. Then you've got what are called C-share mutual funds. It's basically where the advisor gets a fee up front and then an ongoing trail. So, you know, that's a way to do it. But to me, I think you got to look at that and look at the expense. 
that can get very expensive, so I would be mindful of that. The next one is fee-based. Okay, I'm a fee-based advisor. I mentioned that in my opening, right, as a fiduciary. So, you know, I'm looking for the, uh, hopefully the best and then lowest priced investment I can get. I use primarily ETFs and individual stocks. And our fee goes, uh, starts out at one level and goes down. It's all in our disclosures. But, uh, you know, about 1% is 1.05%, 1.1 is about standard for us. So, that's standard. Now, then you get other issues, okay? So we charge that fee, but that includes financial planning, tax planning, all the advice we give during the year, plus our investments. So it covers all of that. Some people will do a fee and then charge. I've seen as much as $10,000 for a financial plan. So you have to be careful with that. So I think at the end of the day, you know, you want to make sure you have a good relationship with that advisor, check those fees and compare it with the other ones, because over time, right, those additional fees can definitively hurt your overall performance and amount that you get. So, as always, thanks so much for watching. Michael Loftus, Wealth and Wisdom TV. Thanks for tuning in to the Wealth and Wisdom Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to schedule time with Michael Loftus to review goals and or financial plans, please give us a call at 302-251-8901. You can also visit us at lwsde.com to contact or check out many resources, including our video blog. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite app. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you can find shows. Material discussed is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult your accountant and attorney for specific advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Loftus Wealth Strategies, LLC, a registered investment advisor.